As usual, I asked our guest Danny Carter to pound the table for someone this offseason. Denny, who you pounded the table for? It's not totally unique. I will concede that. But I am <laughs> pounding the table constantly for Brandon Ayuk. And honestly, I didn't plan on, on, on doing that. You know, like when the season ended, I mean, it was clear that, you know, there, there's definitely something there as a player. But uh, as far as his opportunity goes, you know, I think we could, get, we could see a, a, a spike not only in that opportunity, but, you know, better opportunity, hopefully, coming from a better quarterback in, in, in Jimmy Garoppolo than he had with uh, Mullins and Beathard uh, in, in 2019. So I, I do find myself just constantly talking him up because I just don't see much downside. I, you know, his ADP will change, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I think that he proved that he's uh, more the traditional down you know downfield receiver than a Debo Samuel say in, in that offense hey hey I got no problem with unoriginality I got no problem <laughs> with Brandon Ayuk sneaking up on you even if it's unexpected and I completely agree with you showed a lot last year awesome straight from Denny's mouth go get you some Brandon Ayuk now let's get to the show Welcome, everyone, to the Most Accurate Podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles, and co-hosting today is the dapper and congenial Chris Allen. Chris, always a pleasure. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm happy to get a chance to finally sit down and talk ball with uh, with Denny, so uh, I'm ready to get into it. All right. All right. As I mentioned in the cold open, we are excited to be joined by the incomparable Denny Carter from NBC Sports Edge. You can find Denny on Twitter, at CDCarter13. Denny. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? And have you recovered from your giant sandwich last week? Uh, yeah, look, uh, scaling the meat mountain was, was difficult. <laughs> okay, it, it, I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, and and you know, were there some pains, some stomach pains? Yes, yes, there were. Um, but I am I am recovered. You know, I, I've been doing three a day exercises since then to try to <laughs> get back to to uh, fighting weight uh, after the meat mountain. But yeah, thank you for checking in on me, and it's great to be here. Look, I worry because you could. It's one of the few sandwiches we're on the video, and you can check it out and find it on Twitter, listeners. But uh, it's one of the few sandwiches where you can actually see the cholesterol. You can see it <laughs> all around. It's like a glow. It's impressive. I was worried about you, Daddy. I was very concerned. Yeah, you know, I had to say that someone was was awful enough, uh, uh, vi- vile enough to send me the health stats on the oh, meat no. mountain. Yeah, man. Yeah, Chris. I, I, I'm looking at these things, and I am agape in horror. I mean, the, uh, the calories, the saturated fat, the sodium, it, is, it was ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm very upset that I saw that. I'm not going to lie, Denny. Uh, my wife left me after she saw the video of you eating that meat mountain. It was, it was that bad. It broke, it broke up you know, many, probably hundreds of marriages at this point. It, it did. I, I, I personal uh, personal story. It, it did. Yeah. It's a whole Discord channel dedicated to just now single husbands who are out there just alone, <laughs> tragically concerned due to this event. No, I, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to focus heavily on our main segment this episode, which is streaming strategies. We want to offer a lot of time to talk to Denny about that. Uh, but I wanted to break the ice a little with a quick roundup before it's cool. With free agency just around the corner, who are some players that, that we can target before it's cool? Basically players whose value may be set to increase mm-hmm. substantially based on where they land in free agency. Uh, let's start with my wonderful co-host, Chris. Chris, who are you targeting right now before it's cool? Uh, so I'm targeting Curtis Samuel. I don't know if it's before it's cool because I think after the 2020 season, everybody is excited to see where Curtis Samuel is going to wind up because I know that 
once the season got underway, it really wasn't about. I mean, DJ Moore got left in the left in the dust by Robbie Anderson. I know folks were excited about the possibility of Ian Thomas breaking out. Nobody really cared about that. It was really down to, well, what is either Robbie Anderson or Curtis Samuel going to do? Because when it was in 2019, he was trying to run under, try and catch some of those uh, hospital balls from Kyle Allen in 2019. But now under Joe Brady and Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, there was, uh, we saw more of him being used as not necessarily a gadget receiver, but the all-around receiver that we kind of saw what he could be when he was coming out of Ohio State. He had uh, at least three to four rushes like per game like throughout the 2020 season. I mean, we saw more of the, not just downfield targets, but like intermediate targets where we knew that that because he was an athletic or dynamic player, once you get the ball in his hands, he could wind up using some of that athleticism to get a number of yards after the catch. And we saw, I mean, over a thousand all-purpose yards this season, constant progression throughout the three to four year, uh, three to four years he's been in the league. So I know folks want him to be. Uh, I've seen him rumored to try and go to Green Bay. And that'd be great. I mean, to be alongside Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams is already a part of that squad. That'd be great. I would love to see him in San Francisco where you see, I mean, Denny was already talking about Brandon Ayuk. Uh, Debo Samuel is also there. George Kittle. I mean, add another dynamic player like Curtis Samuel to the, to that offense. And sky's the limit in, in my eyes. So regardless, I think Curtis Samuel is one of those guys that you should be targeting early and often in your draft. And so that's that's where I want to see. I want to see where he winds up in free agency the most. I always like someone who gets better every year. Like, his production just seems to get better the healthier he is and the more active he is. Denny, do you have any opinions on Curtis Samuel? My opinion is that I don't want him to go to the 49ers and ruin my, my <laughs> Ayuk thing. Uh, <laughs> that's that's my take. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Chris is, is spot on uh, with everything there on, on Samuel. Um, I I think that he he showed last year that if a team wants to, they can they can tr- they can treat him as a hybrid player who uh, is one of the, the few hybrid player types who who won't be gadget a gadget player. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, you know could could see like real uh, consistent, reliable chances both as as a receiver and and a ball carrier. I, I think he proved that. You know, whether whether a team signs him and and uses him that way, that that's that remains to be seen. But Green Bay sounds like a pretty cool uh, landing spot for Curtis Samuel. That seems like a dream. Shades of Randall Cobb with his 41 mm-hmm. carries of 200 yards last year on the ground. It's impressive. Go. Denny, who are you targeting before it's cool? I, uh, Marvin Jones, and that sounds weird because, Ooh. you know, Marvin Jones is, is is teamless right now. He's definitely not returning to Detroit. The team has been pretty clear about that. Marvin Jones has said things that indicate that he would like to, you know, win at some point, so he's not going to be back in Detroit. Uh, <laughs> he... Uh, you know he he's likely to sign i think with a team where um you know he'll he'll have a, a great a great quarterback possibly you know if he's going to a super bowl team if if he's if he's targeting a super bowl team and um he's not going to like you know draw any sort of primary coverage um you know if he goes to say the rams to reunite with Matt Stafford which seems like a somewhat of a possibility i think that's great for him i don't you know i don't I haven't really looked at how that affects uh Cooper Cup or Robert Woods but I think that Marvin Jones in that situation would be pretty great. I like that. Nine touchdowns quietly in three of the last four seasons. Chris, as a Bengals fan, very familiar with Marvin Jones. What do you think? Uh, it makes me upset to see a lot of players 
leave Cincinnati and thrive in the offenses that they've wound up in <laughs> afterwards. And it, I mean, he's not the he's not the only one to do it, which is kind of the sad part. Um, but yeah, I think that would be a wonderful. I mean, I think it'd be great for him to move on from the Lions. And yeah, with the rumors of him already trying to move or like go with Matthew Stafford to LA, I think that would be just a, an absolute match made in heaven. I love it. More targets out there for that crazy Rams offense. Uh, I like to bargain shop and look for guys that are free and look for guys that nobody likes and kind of the bottom trash heap. Last year, I was grabbing Gerald Everett everywhere for his pending free agency and dynasty formats. This year in my best ball, I'm throwing a dart at DD Westbrook at the end. He's free. Nobody likes him. We forgot he existed. We may never hear from him again. Who knows? But he, uh, you know, had some slot PPR value, some return value a while back ago, uh, quietly had two straight years with over 100 targets. And if he lands on that, it, you know, if, if Green Bay goes bargain shopping instead of Samuel and takes Westbrook and mm-hmm. he lands in the slot or Detroit with Jared Goff there, who likes the slot, New England, because Julian Edelman may not be back next year, um, healthy anyways, uh, you know, could be a viable low-end PPR option. So if I'm doing best ball or redraft right now, my last pick is often D.D. Westbrook. I like that. Uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, people forget. You know, the Zoomers have forgotten uh, already that Didi uh, Westbrook going into the 2019 season, I believe, was like the unquestioned number one receiver in the Jacksonville mm-hmm. offense. It was him. It was supposed to be uh, Nick Foles throwing to him. You know, 12 times a game. It did not unfold that way. If we all uh, remember the 2019 season, but. I think it, it, that positioning that he had as the the number one receiver in you know in any offense it wasn't a great offense but it was it was an offense I can confirm that uh, <laughs> you know that even even that I think shows his his potential I love it so out there looking at bargains looking at guys go get you some Curtis Samuel some Marvin Jones some D.D. Westbrook uh, with that let's head into our main segment this week Chris is going to lead that so take it away Chris. Folks, early bird pricing for 2021 4 for 4 memberships are available. Don't hesitate to sign up early and capitalize on the ever-growing off-season content we bring you day in and day out. Check out Classic, Pro, and DFS embedding memberships up to 25% off right now. See 444.com slash plans for details. Yeah, so Denny, I mean, anybody that follows your work and has been checking out some of the the processes and or even uh, the process or the recommendations for streaming, not just the quarterback, but the tight end and defense positions as well. So essentially the onesie positions, as we've seen uh, JJ mention them in the past. But 2020 felt different uh, with quarterback ADP being pushed up, a lot of folks wanting to get in on the hashtag Konami code Mm -hmm. and trying to pull some of those guys that we would typically take in the later rounds into the middle rounds. But I just want to get your just overall take from a qualitative perspective, I mean, did it feel different? Did 2020 feel different than any of the previous uh, any of the previous seasons? And did it feel like we really need to start, I guess, trying to add or try to draft some of those quarterbacks earlier? Have, has has the edge of streaming kind of been lost? That's a good question. I, I will say that 2020 felt different uh, in that. On living the stream, we had our worst year ever <laughs> streaming. So that was uh, that was the difference. Uh, but yeah, we we talked a little bit about that me and JJ uh, at the end of the season, and and I know that um, a lot of people have have done some really in depth, really good, actionable research on whether the late round quarterback strategy, which you know has been universally embraced uh, across fantasy football for 
the better part of uh, eight years here. Is that over? You know, that that's the question. Is have we reached a point where we've seen the game evolve? And I, I think that uh, I think that that may be the case. But I also think that we shouldn't discount the possibility that a uh, you know a rushing quarterback, a dual threat quarterback, or two or three maybe uh, could be available later in drafts and could be the guy who emerges as as a viable late round pick yeah and i think that's the part that was always one of my one of my concerns coming into the season as we start to see quarterbacks getting drafted earlier and earlier do we as not just like uh analysts but even once we're the ones that are in the driver's seat like once the we're the ones making the picks are we now going to be pushed into making those selections earlier than we want to and now are we going to be left with having to draft or having to stream like the Ben Roethlisberger's that are in their 37, 38, uh, Philip Rivers, like those types of guys. And are we going? Is it going to be a detriment to our team? Are we? We're not going to be able to get some of those rushing quarterbacks, or even just some of those guys with upside that we would have been able to pick up in in previous years. But Brandon, I mean, were did you find yourself in a similar situation uh, this this uh, this past season? Did you fall into that trap, or not necessarily a trap, but did you find yourself streaming some of those quarterbacks, or did you just see the trends coming and avoid it completely by drafting a, let's say, Kyler Murray or Josh Allen or something or somebody like that? Yeah, so I had some leagues where I drafted Josh Allen, and those were the ones I did the best in. I usually got him in like the seventh round or so. Uh, I also had some leagues where I, I, got, I got Aaron Rodgers real late, so that worked out. But by and large, uh, if I couldn't get Josh Allen where I wanted him, then I was streaming all season. That's mostly what I was doing. And I did find that this year I probably did worse than usual with that strategy, more because I think the weeks were more um, volatile. I'd... I'd Normally, you could kind of expect certain guys to go off or certain matchups to work out, and I feel like that just didn't happen as well. Guys like Ryan Tannehill did well, but were rostered early and kept on rosters most of the season. So I would say my streaming quarterback situation didn't go so well as usual. And then tight end, I got lucky in a lot of leagues with my drafting and with my early uh, pickups like Robert Tanyan, but even the good ones outside of those top two, even the good ones, you're trying to pick week to week. Tight end was just a wasteland last year. Yeah, it definitely felt that way. And I know that, well, Denny, you already kind of mentioned it beforehand. I mean, with you and JJ, I mean, having one of your worst seasons, I mean, how, how bad was it? I mean, I know that I try and keep track because I, I write the weekly streaming column over at 4 for 4. Um, I try and take a look and like, and I mean, from the accountability standpoint, I tried to at least take a look at what my top picks were, how many points they wind up scoring on a, on a week-to-week basis. And I think overall, I, I wound up somewhere in the, I think it was maybe 16.7, 16.9 points per game like for, for the season, which isn't bad. But when you look at where some of the top scorers were at like throughout the, uh, throughout the season, I mean, if you look at where how much like Dak Prescott was scoring like while he was still uh, while he was still on the field Russell Wilson during the earlier parts of the season when I guess the offense was letting him be Russ I mean they were I mean you it's hard to compete when you have top five top six quarterbacks scoring 26 27 28 points per game so from your perspective I mean was it uh how much different or what was that gap for for you on a points per uh, points per week basis you know, I, I don't remember the, the, the number off the top of my head, and I'm sorry, but I, I do know that 
we finished like uh, our average was like QB nine or so in uh, in traditional leagues, and that's that's down from what we usually do, which is like QB five or six, depending on the season. The rushing is a is a cheat code, as Rich Rebar showed us many years ago, and as we've seen, you know, season after season after season, uh, it can't really be uh, discounted, you know. And and I think that when people I see people on Twitter saying, "Well, I don't, I don't know about Jalen Hurts." Well, fantasy wise, you don't, you don't have to know about Jalen Hurts. I mean, it, you know, it, it, what I'm saying is he's he, he's going to rush. He's going to pick up that that you know precious precious uh, you know fantasy production on the ground, and and that's pretty much all you need to know. And and I, I that makes up for so many uh, deficiencies in any in a, in, a, in a quarterback's game as we've seen, um, and and. The the plus side the 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 upside is that if you get that guy, and he's a rusher and he's a pretty good passer, uh, and, and and you know produces that way, then you've hit the lottery. You know, like we had with Lamar Jackson in twenty nineteen. Yeah, and I think that's essentially what we found in Justin Herbert, right? I mean, I don't think I don't remember much about uh, his uh, college evaluation or anything like that. I do know that he was considered to be one of the, I guess, the lesser prospects like from that class. But once he started to show that uh, not just the, the passing potential, but also the rush, uh, let's say not he wasn't on the level of Lamar Jackson or anything like that, mm-hmm. but were you on to him almost immediately or did it take a few more weeks in order for you to say that, yep, I mean, this is the guy. I mean, pick him up and hold him throughout the rest of the season. I, I'm trying to remember like what I said and what JJ said on Living the Stream back when Herbert was you know first picked up. I think by like week three, really, you you had an idea that oh okay, like this could be a really good fit, you know, like a really uh, a very t- talented uh, quarterback in a pretty good offense on a team that's going to have to throw a lot because they 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 stink. I think that 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 became pretty clear. But you know, there's always the temptation because we. We've sort of been conditioned over the past seven or eight years that you know you can always find someone better on the waiver wire in a in a twelve team league and, and especially in a, in a ten team league. So I do I do think there were probably people who dropped Herbert or, or kind of went in another direction. Um, and I think that's something we need to watch out for in in this coming season. I agree with you completely on the rushing stat, and I, I feel like that trend just continues to grow. We saw Jalen Hurts take over a starting job that really, going into the season, he had no business being in the running for. Um, you know, We didn't know Carson Wentz was going to be a train wreck. Uh, even those who didn't like him probably figured he'd start 16 games. The rookies in this class, four of those top five guys are, are, are pretty prominent rushers. Like, Trevor Lawrence isn't a statue. Uh, you know, Zach Wilson is known for like he's getting Josh Allen comps for that reason. Justin Fields, obviously a, a, a dual threat guy. Even Trey Lance rushed for 1,100 year, uh, yards his second year in college. Um, do you think dart throws at those quarterbacks, um, even if they're not starting going into the season? Do you think kind of dart throws there might work into your streaming method based on the rushing production? Yes. Uh, I, I I do. I think that that's, that's a, a great point. I think, you know, Justin Fields could be, along with Jalen Hurts, to a lesser extent, could be the key to anybody who wants to go with a, with a, a true, legit, late-round quarterback approach. Because I can't imagine, you know, that he would be, uh, you know, highly drafted if you're talking about, you know, the other top quarterbacks in fantasy football. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think you're onto something by saying, you know, pick them up. It depends on the format and like your bench, whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm into that idea. 
Yeah, I'm wondering, at least once we get towards uh, closer to the regular season, where some of those rookie quarterbacks are going to fall out in terms of ADP. Because as of right now, in, in these best ball streets, I mean, the quarterback ADP is absolutely wild. Um, one of the drafts I'm actually doing right now, Justin Fields got drafted in the 10th round. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Like, it, like uh, Trevor Lawrence is being taken in the, uh, in the 7th, 8th round. And that's at quarterback, let's see, I want to say quarterback 15, 15 or 16. And that's by the 8th round. Jeez, 20 quarter- <laughs> Yeah, almost, almost 20, 20 quarterbacks taken by the 10th round. Uh, and this is, I mean, and we're now in, in March. So trying to plan for how, quarter, how the position is going to be evaluated, how folks are already kind of eyeing that production, both mm-hmm. as a, a possible passer and the production on the ground, because we know that Trevor Lawrence can be mobile. Justin Fields can definitely be, uh, uh, be useful on the ground, like with his legs. Uh, that's something that I think a lot of folks are already trying to, I guess, put that into their evaluation for fantasy purposes. So I, but I definitely agree that those guys would be targets for me in the 2020 season or 2021 season rather. Uh, so yeah, I guess kind of uh, transitioning into your thoughts for 2021, Denny. I'm hoping this is this is true, and it's definitely for me. But are you still leaning towards the streaming strategy, like moving forward? Is the hashtag process mm-hmm. still going to be a part of what you what you promote uh, moving forward? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a, it's definitely a, a turn that I I didn't anticipate so soon. I thought that the evolution of the quarterback position in fantasy football would be a little bit uh, more gradual, but I was wrong. It's it's a great question, and I, I think that's something I have to look at over the next, you know, three, four months uh, and 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 determine, you know, how, how we're going to handle this shift in the way that, A, quarterbacks are producing, and B, how fantasy managers are drafting. Uh, you know, that's, it's changing, and you have to, you have to adjust. Now, will, will the, uh, the temptation to cut against the grain be there? It absolutely will. Like that's, I think that that's, that's always, it should be, I think in the back of your mind when you're analyzing the game and looking for edges. Um, but does that make sense to, to embrace completely? Uh, I, I'm hesitant to say, to say yes on that. So I would say that we're in for, we're in for an adjustment on the hashtag process. Yeah, and I think that that makes sense to me because in the just doing best ball drafts, which I know is much different than having to figure out how you're going to manage a roster week in and week out, and especially after we have the next four or five months to evaluate teams and how how their teams are going to possibly shake out throughout the season. But if you think about the value of quarterbacks and where they are right now, you can look at or try and identify what the opportunity cost would be in taking, let's say, a... Kyler Murray in the fourth round versus a Ryan Tannehill three, four rounds later, mm-hmm. which is still going to be much earlier than what we would expect. We would have expected in years past, because I know that Kyler Murray was typically going in what the fifth round of last year's drafts yep. and Ryan Tannehill was what more of a mid to late round pick. But now, yeah. I mean, even with their ADPs being pushed up, the difference in value uh, is so much different that I think that there's still a there's still there's still gains to be made on trying to capture more wide receiver value, capture more running back value, and seeing if you can possibly not necessarily stream, but take a later round quarterback 
which is which would kind of still fall into that rushing production like a Ryan Tannehill. Jalen Hurts is going a little bit later. Maybe even a guy like Joe Burrow uh, if you're if you want to try and bank on that injury upside. So I still even think that there are possibilities for or targets that you could have that would not necessarily fit into I guess the quote unquote traditional late round quarterback style, mm-hmm. but at least trying to capture that that value that you would get by avoiding a Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes in the in the early rounds. Brandon, for you, I mean, are you are you also evaluating what your strategy is going to be in 2021? I mean, would you also be looking at, I guess, either trying to figure out what that ADP is going to look like and how it's going to evolve over these next four to five months? Or are you just going to say, nope, I don't even want to have to deal with it. Just give me uh, give me Dak Prescott, give me Kyler Murray, Josh Allen. Just give me one of those guys, and I'll just I'll figure it out from there. It's a great question. And last year, I kind of found my uh, my breaking point. Right, I kind of looked and I said, you know what? What's the guy I'm going to target? Where if he's there at that spot, I'm going to pull the trigger. And if he's not, then I'm just going to wait and I'm just going to bargain shop and stream. And for me, it was Dak Prescott in the sixth. I felt like he was regularly going in the fifth round. If he was there in the sixth round, I took him. That's kind of the way it worked. I'll probably find a similar breaking point. Uh, it might be Dak again, honestly. It might, he'll probably fall based on coming off the injury. We'll see what happens if he gets tagged again, ends up in Dallas, ends up staying in Dallas. But I'll probably find a similar breaking point. But I'm definitely entertaining the idea more so than I have in years past of maybe pulling the trigger on a third-round Josh Allen or something just to not worry about the position. But knowing me and knowing my history, I, I'm <laughs> guessing that when when it all comes down, to, I'm going to be looking at those those sexy diva wide receivers and be like, "Give me some of that. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a little Stephon Diggs." I don't think I can bring myself to say, "No, I'm going to go Mahomes when Diggs is sitting there." I'll probably wind up with, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts and <laughs> Trevor Lawrence and uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, who I draft every year because he's quietly worth starting most weeks. So that's probably what I'll end up doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up drafting 11 receivers in a row. Off the, off the top <laughs> Well, that begs the question, uh, Denny, now that you mentioned that, I mean, because I know that in, like, what was it, the MFL 10 of death that you typically do, like, every year with, Mm -hmm. uh, like, Rummy and Evan Silva and some of those other guys, Mm -hmm. and Sean Siegel, who essentially, uh, he was the, quote-unquote, the creator of the Zero RB strategy. Yeah, he was on last week. Does this, does pushing up quarterback ADP change folks that trying to try and use that zero rb strategy where you're now essentially taking a uh, a detour and picking trying to pick up one of those early quarterbacks whereas beforehand you could probably spend the first four five six rounds hammering wide receiver maybe grab a running back in the uh, sixth or seventh round and then draft a quarterback in the ninth or tenth round but now that quarterback in the ninth or tenth round could possibly be baker mayfield i mean that's that's how far quarterbacks are are fall or that's how quickly quarterbacks are, are falling so I guess my question to you would then be, I mean, does that now change your entire draft strategy? Not just how you're approaching the quarterback position, but your draft strategy as a whole if you try and go the zero RB route or something like that. Yeah, I, I actually do think, you know, zero RB, and, and again, that this doesn't, you know, zero RB is not great for every single format, but I think that it, it could potentially, now that you say it, and, and thank you for bringing that up, it's not something I really considered, but could benefit you know, from this shift in how we draft and think about uh, and how quarterbacks produce. Uh, 
that that's that's a great idea. I'm 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 reeling right now because I I haven't <laughs> I haven't considered quite the ramifications of that. But you're right. I mean, um, if if you have uh, several or or most league mates this year, uh, you know, uh, use a um, you know a fourth, fifth, sixth rounder on a quarterback where those league mates would usually use would usually get that first quarterback in the eighth, ninth, tenth round. If that's the case, then I I do think that there maybe that creates maybe an inefficiency to be exploited. Yeah, because now that I'm thinking about it, um, you're absolutely you're absolutely right because that opportunity cost that you would typically want to grab a, let's say even a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, is most folks might be grabbing a quarterback there. Let's say, let's say I've seen like Matthew Stafford go in the in the seventh round as like the quarterback, let's say 11 or 12. But in the seventh round at the same time, I'm seeing Will Fuller go. Uh, Odell Beckham has fallen into fallen uh, fell in, fallen into the seventh round. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie Anderson, Cortland Sutton. I mean, these are legitimate wide receivers. Whereas I would think in the back of my mind, I'm just going to continue drafting wide receivers, at least good quality wide receivers. And sure, I might wind up with a Kirk Cousins, a Derek Carr, maybe one or two rounds later. But in my mind, the value presented by some of those wide receivers that folks are passing on in order to I guess possibly in fear of missing out on those quarterbacks it might create that mismatch in value where that will make me zig while they're trying to pick up or trying to ensure that they get a quality starter at a onesie position for sure I got I gotta ask about Odell Beckham I'm sorry this is way off topic <laughs> and all that, but I, I gotta ask because I'm wondering is he entering Anne Hathaway territory because because <laughs> if you remember when Anne Hathaway burst onto the scene with with the, the Princess Diaries and those films that she was in like people loved her people loved her and worshipped the ground she walked I thought she was the greatest actress ever and mm. I looked and I said oh she's fine and it sounded like I hated Anne Hathaway and I feel like that's how I was with Odell Beckham right and then eventually eventually it turned and people started to not like Anne Hathaway and I went guys she's great I don't know what I don't know why you hate her and I feel like that's what's happening with Odell Beckham he's had a couple injured seasons and now everyone's like oh he's trash and I feel the same way about him as I have the whole time he's been in Cleveland and now I feel like I'm just like supporting him and it's it's a weird flip for me and I'm not comfortable with it I think that we have to remember and it's something we've said on Living the Stream many many times um, everybody is a value sometimes, yeah. right? Uh, and 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 uh, actually, the, the the actual phrase is everybody is a value sometime, uh, and, and that meaning that you know we should never write off completely a player. But you know we are uh, creatures of emotion, and we remember uh, the negative far more and and far more you know uh, far clearer. Than we do the positive, and so if you drafted OBJ uh, in, in any recent season, it's it stung. It stung. <laughs> you know, it, it was bad. And and I and I'm speaking from from experience. And people are going to remember that, you know, and they're going to remember that feeling. And when they see OBJ's name on the draft board, they're going to say, "No, that hurt last time. Uh, I'm not. I'm not doing that again." And so I do. I do think that he potentially could be just a ridiculous value this year i i definitely hope so because the the narrative uh the narrative surrounding odell beckham that the browns were better without him 
was just I, 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 I was tilting into <laughs> I mean in, uh, into the upside down and I could not stand the, the idea and people were I mean these were like legitimate people I would see on Twitter making this claim and I'm like that's where are we getting this information from I mean if you look at the Browns throughout the first let's see he went down in was it the beginning of week, week seven six? week, week seven, seven. He went down yeah. yeah so for the first six weeks of the 2020 season the browns if you think about it they were a completely different team than what they were the final six weeks of the season baker mayfield was i believe 22nd in 22nd in deep ball attempts uh, i believe he was also in the back half in terms of expected points added epa per play uh, that off and their neutral passing rate was in the 51 52 percent range so that they were essentially operating the same way that uh that uh, Kevin Stefanski was running the Minnesota Vikings offense last season. Mm-hmm. Run first, run out, and then you pass off play action, which was largely successful, but they weren't doing it enough to generate enough passes downfield. And even those passes downfield, Baker Mayfield's uh, an, an average intended yards per pass was around uh, 10.5, 10.8, something like that. But Odell Beckham's average depth of target was 13. So if you're not passing, if you're not taking enough deep shots, at a player that's mo- that's running mostly deep routes, then of course his production is going to be down. But then if you look at what Baker Mayfield was doing down the last like six weeks, where he was what the quarterback, uh, he was a QB one. What I think three three four weeks after those like uh, heinous weather conditions that they had in Cleveland uh, within like weeks ten and week twelve. But after that, he was fifth in EPA per play, top five if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken in deep ball attempts. I mean, still the same uh, average intended air yards like per pass, but they were largely more successful because they were making the offense was more successful. Neutral passing rate was up to 58, 59%. So this was a completely separate offense than what we saw when Odo Beckham was a part of it. And I'm sorry, but if you're trying to tell me that Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones are better wide receivers than Odo Beckham Jr., then I can't get behind that logic. I love this. This is what I love about you, Chris. I bring something up that's off the cuff and not scheduled, and you've got all the stats for it. It's fantastic. Because it, it bothered me. Because I, I remember seeing it, and I was just like, "I'm gonna go research this because it's gonna it's gonna bug me." <laughs> also, and they were just, five and two. They were five and yeah, two with him. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So wide receiver wins, and then also the fact that I mean, the, this is the way that the the offense was operating under a completely new regime with Kevin Stefanski. So I'm I'm, hope, I'm definitely seeing Odell Beckham as a value. He has been a good receiver in the past. He, I think he will be and continue to be a good receiver in the future. So, yeah, he's one of those guys that, again, if you are trying to target good value in those middle rounds and quarterbacks are what are largely being drafted, uh, because, I, again, I'm going to reference a, a draft that I'm doing right now. I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five, like seven quarterbacks being drafted in the seventh, eighth round where I can still grab – possible wide receiver ones like either Odo Beckham, Will Fuller, DJ Chark, if you think he can make a comeback with Trevor Lawrence as a part of, uh, if he gets drafted by Jacksonville. I mean, those are the types of receivers you can find there. So I would much rather grab one of those wide receivers and take my chances on falling back on a, uh, a quarterback like possibly Baker Mayfield, possibly Kirk Cousins, even Derek Carr after this last season, mm-hmm. it, assuming I have those types of wide receivers and running backs that I'm drafting in the earlier rounds as a part of my squad. So I guess the, uh, one of the last things that I wanted to cover, Denny, before we get you get you on out of here is 
there's going to be a lot of drafters that are probably going to be faced with the situations that we're talking about now. They're going to see some of the popular targets come off the board in the third, fourth round, which happens every year. We know that. But now the those middle round guys are going to get pushed up into the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. I mean, would you have any advice to them for trying to make sure that you're not sacrificing that opportunity cost? And if you want to go the streaming route, or maybe even not the streaming route, but if you want to try and capture value at the quarterback position, what's the best advice you would give a drafter going into the 2021 season? Man, you know, uh, to give this sort of uh, advice in early March is difficult, I will say. <laughs> I will say this is this is quite the challenge you presented me with, Chris. Uh, but, you know, We're going to hold you at all this too, Dan. We'll hold you <laughs> to it in August. Although, yes. Know. Listen, all fantasy analysts, is, uh, I'm sorry, all fantasy analysis is locked in in March. <laughs> okay, right. Hold our in. takes all year long. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Injuries, signings, draft picks, it doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah. No. If, you're, if, you're, if your take was right, that your take was right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, I can see, I can see myself uh, in the coming months saying that, you know, if you know, if you want to go the late round uh, avenue, then you, then here are the guys you should be targeting, and no one else. You know, I, I think that there is some analysis to be done there. I'm, I'm very big on, on you know, the structural part of the game, the structural part of drafting. Um, and not not as much about the evaluation of, of individual players, although that is obviously an important part of the game. Uh, uh, but um, I I would say that I would advise people for now, I guess in best ball, to not get too incredibly cute with quarterback. If if you understand, it, it, don't uh, don't play chicken uh, with with quarterback because we 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 know that there are uh, you know, verifiable, good fantasy producers available in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. And if you, you know, can just hold your nose for now and take those guys, I think that that's best. Now, we'll see how the things develop into the spring and summer, and, and maybe we can uh, address it again then. I think that makes sense to me. And uh, some of those targets, like what, what you had mentioned, I mean, when we've, we've been talking about them throughout the show – the guys like Kirk Cousins will be available in, in the later rounds because folks will never want to try and draft somebody that, that has that type of um, that type of profile or that runs that type of offense like as, a, as their main starter. But if you can, like you said, try not to get cute. Mm-hmm. See if you can see if you can capture that value. Try and capitalize on other people's mistakes when you know that they're reaching when you see other value there. And I think for right now, again, we're just sitting here in March kind of talking about things. Let the situations play out, and we'll, we'll see what we, what we, uh, how we can go from there. But, of course, I mean, that's, we focus largely on the quarterback position. We can't, get you out, we can't let you go without talking about the most important position mm-hmm. in fantasy football, which would be kickers. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, would, would it, you also talk about or would you also apply a similar process for, mm-hmm. uh, for kickers? Yeah, <laughs> so th- thank you. I appreciate this that you're not, uh, you know, like the mainstream media that you're not censoring me <laughs> on on my kicker talk. We know uh, our guest. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, it is. It was in my contract. I know that you mm. negotiated with my with my agent. Right. We contacted uh, your lawyers. That's <laughs> that's right. I've I've created a whole uh, business that I that I that I work in or that I I run. Uh, it it all exists on Twitter and in my head. 
So um, <laughs> anyway, on the kickers. All right. So I wrote I wrote a piece last week on on kickers uh, for NBC Sports Edge. Uh, check it out. It should be on the front page, I think, somewhere. Uh, anyway, it's on my Twitter feed as well. I looked at um, kickers who uh, whose coaches were either aggressive or not so aggressive in field goal range in neutral game script situations. And uh, the the long story short, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna give away the answer. I'm not even gonna make you read the piece, people. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give away the answer. The 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 the, the actionable takeaway from this uh, kicker article penned in February. Okay, which is an it should be a federal crime to do that. <laughs> um, it, but the 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 information the actionable information is that Greg Zerline is going to be the target for late round kicker truthers, which you should all be taking your kickers in the later rounds, even if Justin Tucker is available. Uh, Greg Zerline is, is a guy I really like. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, if you could send us the link, I'll put it in the show notes because I will add it to my I should be working reading list tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> so I would love to read it. <laughs> sure, sure. Greg Greg Zerline over Justin Tucker. I mean, the, the lives are incensed <laughs> at, at such a take. I mean, oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that would that would trigger a lot of people. You're right. Uh, I am. Fun. I am triggered. I'm not I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I'm 100 percent triggered right now. <laughs> Late round kickers is not something that I thought I would be hearing here in in March. This is absolutely insane. It is insane. I I have to say I'm I'm just flabbergasted that I'm actually getting a chance. And I appreciate it. I'm getting a chance to talk about kickers in the month of March. Amazing. Again, this is what happens when you let Denny come on and just talk about I mean stuff like this. It's just it's just wild to me. I'm going to go out on a little. I'm going to say we're a kicker-friendly podcast. Our our, co- our other co-host, Jen Akins, is very kicker-friendly. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's one of the things. It's it's secretly, Denny, we wanted you to come on and just talk kickers, but we were told, no, <laughs> we have to have him talk about something else. This can't be a kicker-only episode. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Josh Moore DM'd me. He said, don't you dare talk about kickers on the Don't podcast. you dare. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be, well, ladies and gentlemen the last week that chris and i are hosting this episode <laughs> so. right right sorry about that yeah, yeah i have to we'll probably get fired after this one <laughs> but now i mean denny thanks so much i mean for for your time i mean all of this insight strategy discussion it's early uh to early in the off season to be talking about it but it's just something that i know folks will kind of want to discuss more throughout the off season and especially more once we get closer to the 2021 season. So we'd love to have you back uh, closer, like in the July, August timeframe to see if one, to hold you to the takes that you've given us here today, <laughs> uh, but also see like where, where we stand at and where a more actionable information we can provide the fantasy community. So thanks. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. For sure. Thanks guys for having me. Yeah, don't forget to follow Denny on Twitter at CDCarter13. Make sure you read everything that he puts up there at NBC Sports Edge. Denny, uh, thank you from me as well. Uh, any final thoughts or plugs before we go? Um, I would say that uh, if anything I said on this episode proves to be catastrophically wrong, remember, <laughs> remember, it was March. It was March. <laughs> 
Thanks so much. Uh, listeners, we may open up the mailbag at some point, so tweet us questions. Or you can email me at brandon at 444.com. Periodically answer select questions on the pod, so send them in. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your friends about it. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good day.